that in order to meet this moment, we have to recognize our California comeback. I think in my time, this is a very unusual and a very unique time. What I'm saying about the state today, it's an enterprising, modernizing, pluralizing, unionizing nation state. Hello, and welcome back to the California Nation podcast. I'm Gil Duran, the California opinion editor for the Sacramento Bee. The coronavirus pandemic has sparked a severe economic crisis for many Californians. As a result of job losses due to the public health shutdowns, unemployment has spiked to nearly 15% in the state. Many Californians can't even pay their rent. And when statewide eviction protections expire on September 1st, some advocates and lawmakers worry there'll be a tsunami of evictions that will increase the state's homeless population. Then there's the question of revenue. Facing a projected $54.3 billion budget deficit, California may be faced with deep cuts in coming years. Such cuts usually hit kids, the poor, and the most vulnerable the hardest. So what are California's leaders doing to address these looming crises? Not enough, say advocates for the poor. But some legislators have introduced bold bills that aim to address these problems. One bill by Assemblyman David Chu of San Francisco would prevent evictions. Another bill by Assemblyman Rob Bonta of Oakland, which has been tabled for the year, would impose a wealth tax on California's richest residents. So I gave Chu and Bonta a call. Here's part of our conversation. So I wanted to talk to you both because you both introduced bills that address the need to help those who are most severely affected by the coronavirus economic fallout. They're pretty bold bills, and they're both controversial in their own right. And so I wanted to start today with the evictions bill, uh, Assemblyman Chu. Your bill would halt evictions, but also help uh, landlords by requiring tenants to repay them over a period of time. And this seems like a bill that would be sensible in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic that's economically devastated many people and could lead to a, a tsunami of evictions, as you've called it, in September next week if something isn't done about it. Uh, so what is it that happens in September next week if this bill doesn't pass? So um, since the pandemic started, we've had millions of renters who have not been able to pay one month of rent or more uh, because we've asked folks to shelter in place, to stay at home uh, and, uh, and not earn income and see substantial drops in their income. Um, in recent months, the court system, the Judicial Council, put a temporary eviction moratorium in place. Uh, but they recently decided that on September 1st, that temporary ban would be lifted, uh, which would immediately require all renters to pay all past due rent at once, or else they could face an eviction. Or put another way, if the legislature doesn't act, um, we could see a wave of massive evictions, which would be catastrophic for homelessness, COVID-19 spread, and so many other things. So that's the, that's the context. So this seems pretty sensible and necessary and reasonable. Why is this so controversial? Uh, great question. Uh, I don't think it should be particularly controversial that at this time, we don't want to see a tsunami of uh, mass evictions. Uh, I think everyone can agree uh, that if we don't change state law and tenants are evicted, landlords will never get paid. So it's not in anyone's interest, uh, which is why we proposed AB 1436, uh, which would provide tenants with a time period, some space to be able to get back up on their feet, uh, earn the money to pay their landlord back, uh, and to give landlords uh, a, 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 a way uh, to get paid back on that rent. And are on negotiations still ongoing? How do you feel about the bill at this point, coming down to the deadline this week? Yeah, 
negotiations have been very intense, have been going around the clock for many, many days. Um, I should mention, in addition to the tenant protections that we proposed in AB 1436, we've also proposed uh, that all property owners, particularly struggling homeowners and, uh, and, and landlords, receive mortgage forbearance. Uh, the idea that uh, mortgages should be, uh, if they can't pay it, um, they should get six or 12 months to pay it back, which is akin to what the federal government has already done through prior federal stimulus bills for certain types of mortgages, but not all. So we want to give landlords and homeowners some time to pay their mortgages back, uh, tenants some time to pay their rent back, uh, rather than seeing a wave of mass evictions and foreclosures. And if 1436 doesn't pass, what options will the state have to prevent mass eviction and homelessness come September, or is that just the end of the conversation? It's the end of the conversation. Uh, come September 1st, evictions are going to start. And it's estimated that there are 5.4 million renters who could be in a situation where, because they haven't either paid rent or are unable to pay rent, uh, could be facing eviction. It is catastrophic. And as I've been saying, there is no do-over. We have no choice but in the coming days as a legislature to, to pass something to provide relief here. Basilian Bonta, let's turn to you. Earlier this month, you proposed what's being called a wealth tax. That's a 0.4% tax on a portion of a taxpayer's net worth that exceeds $30 million, according to your, your press release on that. And this would affect approximately 30,400 people in California, none of whom are on this call, I assume. Why do you think the wealth tax as proposed in AB 2088 is the answer uh, what's the problem you're trying to solve here? We are in unprecedented times and unprecedented crises. Uh, we are in an uh, unprecedented income inequality crisis. We're in an unprecedented recession, the greatest recession since the Great Depression, and it requires unprecedented action. Uh, this would be the first in the nation wealth tax. And when you look around and you look through an equity lens and you say, who uh, in California is best able to bear this burden? Of, of these multiple intersecting crises and who is not. Um, th those who are, are more uh, well off, those who the California economy has been better to, uh, are, are better able to bear that burden. Our um, middle class, our workers, those aspiring to live the middle class dream are least able. So this is something where, uh, this, is a, this is an idea where we would generate $7.5 billion. You um, spelled out the key components, 0.4% uh, tax. Um, not, we're not taxing the top 10%, not even the top 5%, not even the top 1%, the top 0.15%, about 30,000 uh, people. And that money can be invested in our common future, our shared society, our healthcare, our education, addressing our climate crisis, addressing unaffordability and, in California. And just to touch on AB 1436, the issue of unafford unaffordability, Passing AB 1436 is the most important thing the California legislature can do before it leaves on August 31st. We cannot go home until California's tenants have a home that they can rely on. Our tenants cannot shelter in place without shelter. Um, they cannot stay at home without a home. They must be able to stay at home. So, um, and the wealth tax goes directly, uh, works directly in concert with um, our view that we need to support our most vulnerable and most disadvantaged during this, this crisis. And um, this isn't something that, um, uh, that millionaires and billionaires are, are, are stubbornly against. We have the patriotic millionaires and millionaires for humanity saying, uh, we've done well 
tax us, tax us more and tax us permanently. We want that money to go into our common future. We know that we're all better off when we're all better off. Uh, take that money and spend it on people who need it most during this time because we'll be fine. Um, and that's the spirit. The, the wealthiest, many of the wealthiest have actually gotten richer during this period because the stock market has done pretty well, uh, while others are suffering greatly due to job losses, worried about getting evicted. Not a lot of millionaires or billionaires in the legislature. So why is this idea so controversial, even in a generally progressive place like the California state legislature? Taxes are always controversial. And um, I don't think it's particularly controversial. My district doesn't think it's particularly controversial. I think there's great support throughout the, the, the state. A recent poll on a millionaire's tax poll did about 70% support for taxing millionaires. Um, during this time, that's, that's an income uh, tax proposal, not a, not a wealth tax. Um, I don't know that it's particularly controversial, although in, in, I, I've, I've heard um, you know, some of the most um, uh, vehement and vitriolic defense of millionaires and billionaires that I've heard in some time, um, not by millionaires and billionaires themselves, but by others who are, are, are seeking to uh, stand up for them for, for uh, some reason. This doesn't target anybody. This just says how can we make sure we have a California for all? How can we make sure that we're all doing okay? How can we help one another? It, it's, a, it's a vision of inclusion uh, and support for uh, the most disadvantaged and vulnerable. And um, you're absolutely right about the data. I, I think the, the data makes a powerful case for the taxation of, of wealth and the taxation of millionaires. Uh, we have about 154 billionaires in the state of California. We have... Uh, um, doubled the rate of our population. California has about 12% of the population, but 25%, a full one quarter of the nation's billionaires. And their wealth has grown in the first three months of the pandemic, $175 billion. Billion, with a B. It, it, while, while people have lost their jobs, while they've gotten sick and, and died, um, billionaires' wealth has gone up. Revenue generation is always a hot and tough issue in Sacramento. What do you say to critics like George Skelton of the LA Times who say that our tax system is already too volatile because it relies on the wealthy, that we need a more comprehensive reform of the tax system? I think the underlying point around uh, more comprehensive tax reform and addressing the issue of volatility is important. And that, that's going to be a longer discussion uh, that, that takes place over a longer period of time. We do right now need to generate more revenue. In a recession, when you have, you're, you're staring down $54 billion in, in cuts, when we have people who were barely holding on, who can no longer hold on, who are teetering on the edge, who have now fallen over, they need help now. They don't need austerity measures. They don't need cuts. They need investment and support. And where's it gonna come from? So it's the question that I, that I uh, mentioned before. We have to ask ourselves who is uh, most able and best able to bear this burden, who is least able to bear this burden, are wealthy, are best able. And, and they can give a little bit, 0.4%. I mean, if you have wealth and you, and you invest it moderately, it's going to generate 6 to 8% growth per year. We're asking just for 0.4% of that, over $30 million uh, to, to help in this crisis, to help with the people who need it most. I think it's eminently reasonable. And... Um, but I think Mr. Skelton is is looking at a longer term issue. It's something that uh, my colleague, who I greatly admire, Senator Hertzberg, has worked on um, and, and worked on for some time. But but some of the proposals in that address volatility, like a service tax, um, it, they hurt those who need help the most. So the governor in recent comments did not seem very favorable toward a wealth tax. 
Do you think he might change his mind next year after the budget reality, which is likely to be very ugly, hits? I think so. I hope so. You know, I, I, I think the time is now to, to, to be interested. And uh, sorry, it's my, my, my coworker. <laughs> we all have them. Legolas for you Lord of the Rings fans. <laughs> I, I always thought we need to look at a combination combination of proposals. Um, sorry, this isn't going to be good for your audio. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see if we can get him calmed down here. Asalaamu Chu, do you think California is doing enough to help the poor and those most severely affected by these compounding crises? Why is this? Uh, we always get piecemeal solutions. It seems like why is bold reform? of this kind so hard in a state that's controlled completely by Democrats? It's a, it's a great question. Um, before the pandemic, California uh, has been a tale of two states. Uh, we've had uh, record and skyrocketing inequality, right? We have uh, many of the wealthiest individuals in the world in California, and we have uh, an incredible number of people who are in poverty, particularly children and families. Um, and so this is something we've been grappling with. There are many reasons why this is the case, um, but coronavirus has just intensified that in so many levels when it comes to uh, who's unemployed, when it comes to uh, who is suffering coronavirus and, and who's not having access to healthcare, when it comes to our social safety net, all of this has been laid bare. Um, we should have grappled with this before the pandemic, but now that we're in this crisis, we have no choice. We have to uh, move forward with bold ideas to to grapple with this. Uh, I'm a supporter of uh, of my good colleague Rob Bonta's uh, idea of, uh, of of a wealth tax. Um, we need to make sure that people are not being evicted during this time period uh, around coronavirus. And there are so many other topics that we have to grapple. But to your point, um, there's no better time to to focus on this than now because people are suffering dramatically. And and given how much is in our state, we can do better than this. So in Bonta, the, the question I had asked was, uh, do you think California is doing enough to help the poor and those most severely affected by these compounding crises? And why does it seem like we always get piecemeal solutions? Uh, and why is bold reform so hard in a state controlled completely by Democrats? Yeah, great. It's, a, it's a great question. I, I, I think we, we can and must do more uh, for the, those who have been hit the hardest, who are, who are suffering the most. We know that in a, in a, in a crisis, um, our most vulnerable and disadvantaged are hurt first and worst, and they need uh, help immediately and ongoing. And so there's more that we can do for sure. And I, I think you know, California has showed that we're able to um, implement bold reforms. I, I, I believe we can, and I believe we will. We need to be thinking about multiple uh, um, solutions, a multifaceted approach to how we get through this. One of them has to be revenue generation. I, I, I can't believe we would not put that on the table, at least for consideration. So it's clear that legislators like Bonta and Chu are working hard to address these pressing issues, but they face an uphill battle in the legislature. California's legislature is completely controlled by Democrats, and it's often portrayed as a bastion of unchecked progressive vision. But the truth is that powerful and wealthy interests hold a tremendous amount of sway in California politics. This frustrates community advocates who say Democrats in the legislature and Governor Gavin Newsom are failing to live up to their promise to create a California for all. Christina Livingston and John Kim are with the United Front. It's a consortium of community and labor groups pushing California Democrats to stand up for people and stand up to billionaires. 
Their groups, which they say represent millions of Californians, support both the eviction ban and the wealth tax. Here's part of my conversation with them. I'm here with John Kim and Christina Livingston. And the question right now is, are Governor Newsom and the California state legislature meeting the moment when it comes to caring about the most vulnerable communities in California during this sort of unprecedented coronavirus pandemic? The short answer is no. (laughs) And I want to say that the crisis that's in front of Californians is not just a coronavirus pandemic crisis. It's the related economic crisis and the ongoing systemic racism crisis that have all come to bear at the same time. And this is certainly an unprecedented situation, and it requires really bold, decisive moves, choices to choose California's vulnerable populations. And we have not yet seen the legislature or the governor really take hold and give the kind of leadership that California needs to pull us through this crisis, not just to return back to what the normal was of before, which already had embedded in it systemic racism, deep inequality, but to actually move us forward into a California that has true equity and inclusion in the center of the society we're creating. Look, a lot of us were sold on this idea of the golden state. You know, a lot of our families migrated or immigrated here because of it. Um, But when you look back at our state's history, you know, we've consistently failed to make that myth real for millions of Californians um, because of our addiction to a status quo that really doesn't work. uh, And because of the the sort of uh, dual-headed monster of corporate greed and structural racism. Um, And so, you know, we're here talking about also this new formation that's been created, the United Front. Um, And many of the members of the United Front have been working for for decades to kind of break the cycle of California missing the mark of its promise. Um, And so because of the pandemic, because of rising authoritarianism and basically the functional breaking down of our economy, we all kind of came together in an unprecedented sort of breadth uh, of our movement to say, hey, the silos from before this crisis aren't going to work for us anymore. So let's all kind of come together and aggregate our power. And so you have a, a wide swath of folks from organizers to policy folks to philanthropy to academics all saying, hey, you know, there's a California that we were promised. Um, and we want that California that we deserve, and we know we could achieve it. Uh, and so we're going to hold that poll unapologetically to kind of get us there. What are you seeing or hearing from the communities in which your groups work? What, what are the stories that are emerging that make you think that this is a really urgent crisis that's not being addressed? You know, we get calls every day from people who are just in tears. They are near the point of desperation they are standing on a cliff looking out in in front of them just a land of deep irreversible poverty that is headed their way they know that we know that folks have lost their jobs the unemployment rate in california right now is 15% we know that people who have their jobs have had reduced hours that they are not receiving the kinds of pay and protection that they need. We know that millions of people have not been able to pay their full rent. If any rent at all, that means that there are millions of people who are at risk of eviction come September 2nd when rule one is reversed um, from the Judicial Council. And we know that all of those folks will be pushed into poverty. We are fighting every day to bring them back. I, have, I spoke recently to a woman who 
you know, has been working her entire life. She's never missed a day. She loves her job. She was laid off in March. She herself has a pre-existing condition, so she can't go out and find another job. She has kids and she just sees that she is one day very soon going to have the conversation with them that they are going to be homeless. And in this situation where there is a deadly virus, when people are not able to shelter, we know that evictions will lead to death and that is not hyperbole. So they are on the brink of complete destruction and we are fighting every day to pull them back. But with the governor and the legislature not taking action, which is in itself a choice, inaction is a choice, with them not taking action to protect people and to bring in the revenue that we need to fund the solutions that will keep people out of poverty and keep California from this vulnerable position of being thrown into turmoil when the next crisis comes, they are not taking action and they are essentially giving those Californians a kick off the ledge. So what specifically do you think that California's need, leaders need to do right now? You know, just on the prior point, there are times when you drive around the state and it's hard to believe we're in a first world country. Um, and in the context of coronavirus, there's sort of two worlds that are playing right now. There is sort of the version of California that lives in the first world where they're mostly worried about managing their boredom or their creature comforts. And then there are the, the low income, high need, you know, people of color that are essentially making live, life or death decisions on a daily basis. They're making decisions about who in their family should go out and work and be exposed to the virus. And when they come back, should they stay in the garage or expose grandmother back at the house? And so we have this very divergent sensibility about who, what it means to live in California. And, you know, there is a version where uh, California has one sense of itself in terms of its progressive rhetoric living into this idea of a California for all or this, you, you know, some elected leaders can't order lunch without using the word equity. But the reality, uh, unfortunately, um, demands that actually rhetoric is not going to cut it anymore. What we really have to do is to say, hey, this structural racism and the economic inequalities bake so deeply into the system that you let anything ride like coronavirus, um, it's obviously going to ride that handrail of structural racism right to people of color. And so there's a version where we need less talking in front of cameras and more that deep excavation work that unflinchingly looks at our system and says, hey, this no longer works for us. This so was baked the, in in the 50s. So what are the specifics that you're calling for right now? There's a wealth sure. tax. There's eviction. Let's get down to the specifics. Yeah, you know, this, this, this governor and others have been looking to the east, to the White House and the administration for federal relief. And I think as opposed to looking eastward, we need to look at our past. Uh, and so 1978 is when we decided to lift up the drawbridge with Proposition 13 and say, hey, that Golden State idea is only going to be for a few. Uh, and so we've had now and suffered under the consequences of Prop 13, which has in effect uh, increased the cost of housing because it's forced local governments to, to raise housing start fees. Um, it has lowered the amounts of resources we have for parks and libraries and how well we fund our schools. Uh, and so we have for the first time in over 40 years, an ability to amend uh, Prop 13, not to do away with it, but to amend Prop 13 to essentially ask corporations who have not been paying their fair share for over 40 years to finally do so. And this would be, I think, the first fundamental step for us to recover, uh, not to where we were, but to recover to a California that we all need. 
So just to say, the governor needs to endorse Prop 15. He has not. And not only does he need to endorse it, he needs to be out there creating energy around it, getting people exciting about, excited about it, and making sure that it passes in November. He needs to put his you know, feet to the ground and start to whip up support around Prop 15. And that will be a very significant start, and we will still need more money. There are 154 billionaires in California. Since the beginning of the pandemic, they have made 175 billion with a B additional dollars while the rest of us are struggling. Okay, we are all hurting, but we've all also got to take a real haircut on this. So we've got to figure out how to get some of that money from the wealthy few in this state and put it into the kind of solutions that Californians need. So we've got to go beyond just schools and communities first, but that is a critical first step and the governor has got to make that choice. And I just want to say on the housing front, September 1st really is going to be a wave of evictions, a wave. Millions of people are going to be pushed onto the streets unless the legislature and the governor act right now to take eviction off the table. They can say there is a bill moving through. They can say you cannot be evicted for non-payment of rent. They can provide resources to small landlords who need that money for their own survival and make sure that people are made whole, not necessarily these giant landlord corporations who have been you know, charging exorbitant rents all along and can afford again to take the haircut that we're all taking. So they've got to take bold steps on that. And then there are things like, you know, we need to make sure that people who are unemployed and the undocumented actually have money to put food on the table. We need to make sure that people have protection when they're going to work. We need to make sure that we have access to testing. These are very simple solutions. We could be talking about the real progressive transformative solutions, but at a big bare minimum. We've got to get the revenue in to pay for these things, support Prop 15, Governor Newsom, support Prop 15, tax the billionaires, and provide protections from renters and uh, for renters and for essential workers right now. California is a democratic state. Democrats control all of the levers of power here. Um, you know, the Democratic Party uh, often promotes itself as opposite of the Republican Party, it cares about people, it cares about the working people, it cares about the poor. What's holding back action on the part of the legislature or the governor in these uh, urgent issues you've highlighted? You know, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, there is no fathomable outcome that says revenue is not necessary to overcome the chaos we face in front of us. And playing footsie with the federal government to try to induce some more resources. I get it. Every state, every local budget needs to fill some gaps, but that only works if you have a rational actor on the other side of the table. And with this white house and with Mitch McConnell, we do not have that. And so that time has passed when we need to play that game. Um, and so there's a version where, uh, you know, we've, I think the governor has rightly called uh, us or referred to this us as a, a nation state. And it's time for us to pick up the mantle and start acting like it. For us to say, yeah, we, our destiny is in our own hands. We know revenue is required. We think SCF is the first step and Proposition 15 is a necessary step. We know that probably beyond that, some uh, revenue is going to be required. And so we appreciate some legislature's efforts uh, to move this question about a millionaire's tax or a wealth tax. But even that's been punted to the next session. And so it's, it's a bit unfathomable for, for us on the outside to say, what is the game plan here? What is the end game? How do we overcome the chaos that we face uh, as a state uh, when we think that we're going to get by? Like, this is not a do more with less kind of moment. Christina, what do you think is holding back action on the part of Democrats? I think, again, it goes to the choices that are being made. There are wealthy 
billionaires and corporations who have an agenda. And then there's everyone else who has a critical need to survive and a desire really to thrive. And it is no secret that there is money pouring in from all over the place to influence the agenda moving forward from this point. And it's also no secret that black people and indigenous people and people of color and poor people have always been on the chopping block. And we need real representation. So what I would really love to see is you know, the democratically held legislature in California to step up and actually not take for granted the people that they say that they represent every day, not take us for granted, not take for granted that we are not gonna be able to be there and show up if we are not housed, if we are not healthy. So I think that there's a, a clear reality that money is flowing in, influencing how people move. I also think that there's some real fear at play this is a, a situation that none of us have ever been in before. And you know, there's some consternation. What do we do? What do we do? But leadership is leadership. And so you've got to take this moment by the horns. And you know, Gavin Newsom, our governor, is at the head of that, of that charge. And he's got to be sending signals to the legislature. There's this back and forth that's happening. We're waiting on the governor. I'm waiting on the legislature. They've all got to get in there and do it together for the sake of this state. So really, we, we need the governor to stand up and say, all of those politics and all of that money aside, I'm gonna stand up for the people of California. And we are at the end in every single, in every single of these uh, policy needs, under housing, under healthcare, under workers' rights, under inclusion, under revenue, we are still waiting for answers. As the final hours of the legislative session ticked away, the fate of Chu's eviction protection bill remained unclear. If the eviction ban expires, it could put many more Californians on the street in the middle of a pandemic. How can people stay in their homes, advocates ask, if they don't have homes? Will Governor Newsom and his fellow Democrats in the legislature allow the problem to worsen? We'll soon find out. Thanks for listening to California Nation. See you next time, and please don't forget to subscribe.